guys, happy Tuesday! And thank you for joining the first 2023 episode of Your Welcome. I hope you all had a great weekend. Even though we had no fights going on, we still got plenty to discuss coming up on today's program. I'm going to give George Masvidal some advice on how he can revive his career. I also want to talk about the heavyweight division and some rumors surrounding Kamara Usman and a possible injury to his hand. Before we get to all that, however, I want to begin by talking about one of the biggest names in all of combat sports. Will Gordon Ryan come to MMA? Now, that's a question that Gordon Ryan was just asked in an interview that I caught last night. And he said, I don't think so. I always thought I would go into MMA. But I think it's my job to stay here and get jujitsu over the hump. He then paid massive respects to his coach, John Danaher. He said, John's never been wrong. And John is now predicting that jujitsu is just about to go mainstream. I will be the guy in that. I'm already making really good money underground, whatever the opposite of mainstream is. And I'll make even more money when it goes mainstream. Why would I do MMA? And I really like that answer because it's the right answer. When you get tough guys together, they will naturally gravitate towards whatever's toughest. But nobody on top of one sport goes into a different sport. That's a little bit of a misconception. Even when you have these great wrestlers, just by example, my field, you got Henry Cejudo, the Olympic champion. You got Yoel Romero, the world champion. You got Daniel Cormier, the two-time Olympian. Ben Askren, the Olympian. They had left their sport when they came to MMA. It's important that you understand that. Their time in wrestling was done. It had grown stale. Whether they were tired of the routine Tired of those workouts, assessing where they were, and monitoring that against the field? We'll never know. They don't know what to us to tell us. I will just remind you, regardless of the way you remember history, you're remembering it wrong. Ronda Rousey might be a great example. Ronda had two spots on different Olympic teams, and she had a bronze medal from the Olympics, but her time in judo was done. When she came to MMA, Sarah McMahon, I mean, I'm right. I'm going through some of the top amateurs, but don't forget that side of it. If Gordon, who is the world's best jujitsu player, and he is, he is the best ever jujitsu player. But if he was to walk away from that, where he is king, where he is number one, where he is known, where he puts his time and focus and come to MMA, that is not a transition like the other great athletes you've seen transition. We've had guys that have had cups of coffee within the NFL. And then they come over to MMA, but they weren't signed to NFL teams. They weren't starting guys when they came to MMA. Do do you see the distinction that I'm making? And Gordon is absolutely right. I'm I'm really happy that he has this mindset. Because even if he didn't mean it right, here's what a lot of guys would do. A lot of guys would not mean it. They're not coming to MMA. But they'll tell you they're coming to MMA. And it's a way to like kind of beat your chest and get a little bit of credit. Because again, amongst fellow tough guys, you go to what is toughest. 
But it's not the right move for leadership. That's a follower's move. Somebody else is pushing him into a direction, trying to get him out of his sport, saying he needs to go and do this. That would be a follower's move. And Gordon is in an outstanding position. I mean, people absolutely seek him out. He has a style. He has an ability. It's different. It's unique. I mean, it appears to be unpenetrable. Not to mention he's tested it five different ways. And that's one thing that you have to understand about jiu-jitsu. It's, it's my biggest complaint about the sport, but that's not Gordon's fault. And what I'm talking about is the fact that they, they do different rules every Saturday. First thing a guy does when he gets some money and a crew together is he writes his own rules to an event. I have the foggiest idea why the leaders of jiu-jitsu would possibly do that. I just, I just can't understand that concept. When the L.A. Lakers got established as a team, they did not then write new rules for how you're going to play when you come to L.A. When the Boston Celtics, when the Buffalo Bills, I mean, do, do any sport any way that you want to do it. When those franchises started, they then did not come in and write their rules. It's very relevant. It's wildly confusing. You want to go mainstream? Okay, great. What's going to get you on ESPN? I mean, if you, if you can answer that question... You've just come a really large leap in the direction of getting mainstream. You are not going to get on SportsCenter when nobody knows your rules. And we don't know your rules because every time a new organization pops up, they have different rules. Now, that's a fault to the leadership. It's a compliment to Gordon. Because Gordon will go out there under Abu Dhabi 20-minute goofy scoring system that I would have a really hard time explaining to you and win. He'll go over to what I believe to be the unified rules of jiu-jitsu that everybody needs to get on board with, which is EBIT, and he'll win. He'll go to an event that's doing a point system in a seven-minute match, and he'll win. It's really, really interesting. I mean, you can rig the deck. You could find a specialist. You could find an EBI specialist that agrees with Chael. There's one set, and this is what we're going to do. You can find the Abu Dhabi guys that are only going to show up and put it on the line once every two years. Work on seminars and make DVDs in the meantime. I mean, those guys exist. That's a real thing. That's an entire industry. Can you believe that? You show up for work one day a year. Can you believe that? That's a thing. And you'll get a guy that if you want a piece of me, come to Abu Dhabi. I'll see you in 24 months. It, it's real. Then he goes and just practices that skill set. Why Gordon is practicing five different things. Gordon coming to beat him. So I really like that Gordon's saying that. Uh, he should not come to MMA. He's welcome if he would like to. But if you think that the history of the greats in combat transitioning to MMA is them coming over when they're on top of a, cer a certain craft, you're remembering it wrong. That's not how it happened. And if Gordon started to slide in jiu-jitsu, guys are starting to figure him out. They changed the rules just so. I mean, whatever it is to make Gordon start to slide, and he could use a new sport to rejuvenate, and that happens. You go in and start learning new techniques. Learn how to kick and turn your hip over. You're learning a two. Come with that uppercut. It's, it's one of those things that does make it fun again for a number of years. Like, a lot of guys will go to it just for that reason. But I don't think that that's the spot that we're in. And I think that Gordon's right. I think that jiu-jitsu is stuck with him. I think that jiu-jitsu needs him. 
I don't think there's a jujitsu event on the planet that Gordon could participate in and not be the main event without even hearing about the card. Without even knowing who's on the card and the rivalries and what this is for. If Gordon Ryan's present, Gordon Ryan's going last. And it's a leader's move, it's not a follower's move. Gordon's making the right move. Transitioning over to MMA, Michael Chandler received a lot of criticism after UFC 281 for his kill or be killed fighting style. Another prominent fighter spoke up about it, and I want to weigh in. Matt Brown made a comment. He was talking about Michael Chandler, and he said, Michael Chandler chooses to be Arterio Gotti while he could be Floyd Mayweather. That was a very interesting comment. And I like his Browns analyst career is taken off. I will tell you, the single best guest I have ever had was Matt Brown. And before the interview, I really didn't want to do it because I thought, what are we going to talk about? Where am I going to get with Matt Brown? He was the single best guest that I've ever had. And but 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 I want to stay on this topic because I think Matt was guilty of the same thing. There are guys that I can very accurately call out, and it won't always be nice, but when they'll hear it, they'll admit I was right. And then they'll think, how did he know? How did he know my secret? And the answer is because I got the same secret. We know our own. I can spot things in you because I had it myself. And Matt Brown was a stubborn fighter. So when Matt Brown's talking about Chandler, I, I just thought it was very compelling. And you guys know who our tarot Gotti is. This is an old boxer, and he was probably most famous for a trilogy with Mickey Ward. But one thing about Arterio Gotti is he would always fall down multiple times in a fight. He's going to be bleeding. He's going to be blocking your punches with his face, but he's still going to be around when the next round comes. And then he's going to knock you down. He's never going to quit. He's never going to go away. He was fun to watch. He wasn't the greatest boxer. He was fun to watch. Rest his soul. His wife killed him. They were in a different country. She stabbed him. I'm just sharing the story of Arturo Gotti. But it is one of those things where we do celebrate that style very much in this sport. I would like for Matt to have elaborated because I do feel that Matt is seeing something in himself within Michael Chandler when he made that statement. I, as an outsider, see a stubbornness. I just see a stubbornness. I don't think it's time for Chandler to quit playing that game. Chandler has not slowed down. He is as fast, he is powerful, he is explosive as anybody. I do understand Matt Brown's point where Chandler being a multiple-time All-American wrestler could use some of those punches. And he's hurting guys. He's stepping in and hurting you. He can choose to throw a couple of more punches to try to finish you, or he can sting you and go right to his takedown. All things, things are a little bit easier. Things are a little bit grimier and grittier. And this is the way he used to wrestle. He was a solid technician, he was a solid wrestler, but he was a battler out on the mat. When that end of the match came around, guys just couldn't hold up. And there are guys that are stubborn. Many people have gone as far as to impolitely call for the end of Cody Garbrandt's career. And this has been going on for a while. The first time I heard somebody call for that, it was two years ago. And Garbrandt's chin is not as suspect as his record may appear. He's just stubborn. 
He gets into firefights. At parts of his career, he would win those firefights. He's going to get zinged, and he's going to zing it back, and you're going to go down, and he's going to be standing there. Do a little do a little robot dance, right? Bring the crowd to their feet. He finds himself in those now, but he's the same the same way as Chandler, where he could use that just to get in, change elevation, go to a clinch, go to a little bit more rest, go to dirt boxing. These skills that he has, but he gets stubborn. I mean, Garbrandt won't listen to anybody. Is what it appears. It just he just won't. Even if he made a deal with himself in the back, this is what I'm going to do in this fight. They won't do it. It, but Chandler's the same way, and Arterio Gotti was that same way, and Matt Brown was that same way. I, I thought it was a very interesting observation, and I don't know how much you guys would like it. There is a piece to Cody Garbrandt flat being stubborn. There is a piece to Michael Chandler wanting to entertain you, and that's a very reckless game. There's an expression in boxing that the great coaches, the great coaches, Teddy Atlas will tell his guy, Look good next time. Tonight, just win. And it's the same thing every single time. Hey, look good next time. Tonight, let's just get the win, right? It's it's one of those things. And Chandler does like your appreciation. I'm trying to think of the award that Chandler just won. Was it knockout of the year? But prior to that, Chandler's rookie year, he was 24 years old, and he wins the World MMA Award for fight of the year. An absolute knockdown drag at that he had no business winning against Eddie Alvarez. Do you guys remember that? And then they rematch it, and it was it was just as good the second time. So I just share for you, you know, when, when that's what you get. I was a, I was a pinner in college, but I got known for that, and it would take me out of my game. I would do things that were more dangerous, and a smaller percentage. You want to do high percentage techniques, a smaller percentage, but if it worked. I was going to get the oohs and the ahs of the crowd. It's, it's one of these things. You can get boxed in. The crowd can box you in. The headlines can be very dangerous. And yeah, there's there there is some Atero Gotti in Michael Chandler. No doubt about it. It was in Frankie Edgar. It's for sure in Cody Garbrandt. But it was also by the author of the statement who's equally as guilty, Matt Brown. Happy 2023, everybody. It's a new year. So, you know, it's time to make a resolution you can actually stick with. Gone are the days of making useless fitness goals and resolutions. The FitBot app is here to help you succeed in staying on track this year. The FitBot app creates a workout routine that is personalized to your goals, fitness level, and available equipment. It learns from your previous workouts and adapts as you improve. You can keep the momentum going all the way into next year and beyond. I've been in and around the gym pretty much my entire life. I know a lot about working out and setting goals, but sometimes I just get lazy to stay up on my routine. Using the FitBot app has helped me to get out of my rut and add some variety to my workouts, and I get to do my workouts from my home gym. You don't need fancy equipment to get a workout done. Just pick a fitness goal, add your equipment, and FitBot will create a routine for you. Whether you've been missing gym time or you've hit a plateau, a fresh start has never been easier. The app switches up your exercises to avoid overtraining or burnout, 
a full year of FitBot is less than the cost of a single session with a personal trainer. You can work your body and your budget by using the FitBot app. Join FitBot today and build a routine that lasts all year. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app free at fitbod.me slash chael. That's fitbod, F-I-T-B-O-D dot me slash chael. If your New Year's goals are to manage your budget better and save money, you need Rocket Money. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, like that streaming service you bought to watch just one show on, or that free trial that you never even used. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of a button. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel, and Rocket Money will do all the legwork and cancel for you. No more long hold times and customer service or awkward conversations with a representative trying to talk you into keeping the service. Just one click and you are done. I hate when I look through my monthly bank statements and I see a subscription I've been paying for months and I never use. I see something cool I want to try and I end up hating it and I forget to cancel before the trial ends. I know you guys can relate. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, including me, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash chael. That's rocketmoney.com slash chael. Rocketmoney.com slash chael. Ooh, Kamara Usman spotted over the weekend with a brace on his hand. Did you see, you guys see this clickbait? I got to tell you, I, I don't fully know what to make of it. If Kamara Usman has something going on with his hand, and I will admit for you guys that that has been an oddly quiet fight. Now, here's what we know. I believe the date is March 18th, but we know that there is a date in March. We know that it is in London. We know that that venue was booked specifically to showcase Leon. Okay, but that's really relevant. It's, it's important that you understand that because that gives us a good sense that Leon is going to fight. Sometimes you, you just take both guys and you just move them to a different date, right? It's a little bit different here. I don't project that that's going to happen. Now, let's just have fun. And I got I to gotta disclose to you guys, I talk to Ali every day. I have never asked him this question. And I don't ask him because I prefer not to know. I prefer to guess and speculate like you guys. I'm a fan. I'm a fan too. Now... Here's what you have to understand, though, okay? That fight's been oddly quiet. I admit that. I, I got one problem, which is that fight is about 11 weeks away. Without a calendar in front of me, I, I got all of 10 weeks close to 11. The average fighter does an 8- to 10-week camp, just so you understand. So a brace today has nothing to do with a fight in March. And you got to understand, this is coming from a guy who's been very lucky. My entire wrestling career, I had zero trips to the trainer. None. Never missed a practice or competition 
due to injury. And I don't say like I was a tough guy. I never got hurt. I got really lucky. So perhaps I'm looking at this as opposed to having appreciation. I'm looking at it a little bit snipe, but I'll tell you, it annoys me. It has always annoyed me. The fact that Jeff Neal called in sick to a fight that's three weeks away annoys me. I'm not saying he's not hurt. I'm not even saying that's not rude of me to say. I just can't relate. If you guys ask me if I want to do something on the date that Neil was supposed to fight Rachmaninoff, just by example, I'm going to tell you I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to feel that day. I don't know if I'm going to be sore that day. How would I possibly know? So when guys pull out of fights in advance, I don't get it. But I will ignite, I will admit my ignorance. I still want to show you the problem just so you see it, okay? Kamara spotted with a brace on his hand. Fight booked, Leon defending March 18th in England. What happens if Kamara can't get there? What, what happens if he can't? I like the idea of a backup fighter. And possibly there is some truth to this. Possibly that is why Chemaya versus Colby that we would all like to see never move forward. Perhaps we need one of those guys. Now, Masvidal, like the smart mark he is, has seen this coming from a mile away. Found a reason to not do the Gilbert Burns fight. Didn't have anything to do with Gilbert Burns, contrary to popular belief. Had to do with keeping himself available so that he could be called out on three-piece in a soda and get a title opportunity. That's a stretch. But you guys are going to be the ones that decide. So what do you do in a scenario like this? What do you do in a scenario where your number one contender and your planned fighter, Kamara Usman, is spotted with a brace on his hand? Well, it's not a matter of what do you do if you're the UFC. What if you do if you're the players involved? Chemayev is always in a good position. His sp uh, coach speak, uh, spoke up a week ago, said he would like to fight at middleweight, and he can do anything. He just can't do a short-notice fight at 170. Okay, great. Always seems like a good option. Colby, we haven't heard a lot from, but is possibly the clearest number one contender that this entire sport has. But when Colby has a plan, he manipulates it and comes to you. He hasn't done that yet. Lahal Mohammed. Always speaking up, always ready to go. You're still thinking about it from the UFC's perspective. You're thinking about who would the UFC put in, who's the right guy to put in. That's not how this should be approached. Leon Edwards, at all times, has the same responsibility that every other fighter has. Wish to get the biggest paycheck against the easiest opponent, and he is the one who should be manipulating this right now. He should not be sitting back. If he hears the rumor that Kamara's got the thing on his hand, Leon, within two degrees of separation, get a hold of a teammate at Sanford MMA and find out about this wrist thing. He'd go right to the UFC. He could get an answer. Here's a rumor I'm hearing. Do I, do I have him? If any of that sounds shaky, he should instantly be invoking the plan to find the easiest opponent. He should be the one to create. If he wants to go on our three-piece in a soda, I mean, that is very low-hanging fruit. That is not going to be anybody's first option or second option. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be an option. It's still viable. Masvidal's playing. Masvidal's talking about it. Blahal's spreading around. We know these guys are ready to go. Colby's been a little bit quiet. Jemayev's talking about 185, but could probably do it. Rachmanov might be the top guy. 
but he's not being looked at at all. And before you start guessing, it's not incumbent upon you to look at all those names and all those storylines or the UFC. It's the responsibility of Leon to look at the landscape, see who could be getting slid in, who's still available, who doesn't have a fight lined up, and who he thinks he has the best chance at. And then he needs to be going out and building it and make sure it falls on that. If he does anything short of that, he's going to get a call one day saying, hey, by the way, you, you know that fight on March 18th in London? Here's who your opponent is. He'll say, okay. It's what he's always done. That's what a champion does. I'm just sharing for you. He has a responsibility and an obligation. Biggest paycheck, easiest opponent. If he wants that, he wants to control his own career, he needs to start setting that table right now. Staying at welterweight, George Mazafanol certainly knows a thing or two about the 170-pound title picture. The question is, will he ever get himself back into it? What should George Mazafanol do to revive his career? You know, I was listening to Bisping over the weekend, and Bisping laid out his New Year's fight list. Like, going to this New Year, here's some matches I need to see. I want to say he had three or four or five, but one of them that stood out for me was Masvidal versus McGregor. Now, I'm here to predict for you it doesn't happen. Do you guys follow any business news? You know who Warren Buffett is? Known as the world's greatest investor. Warren Buffett has bought so many successful companies, but he stayed out of Amazon. And people have come to him and asked him about Jeff Bezos and Amazon. He said, man, I think it's an awesome company. They said, well, will Berkshire Hathaway get involved? He said, no. They asked him why. He said, you want to know why? I had an opportunity to buy it at $8, and I didn't do it. It now is $3,500. And while I think it's still a value, and I think it's still a company that's going to grow, emotionally, it's very hard to buy a stock for $3,500 that you didn't buy for $8. And that concept is so true. McGregor versus Masvidal? Do you know what that would have done two years ago? Do you know what that would have done a year ago? And that opportunity was right there. Both guys coming after each other. Connor Red Panty Knight, an absolute constant, still a real thing. No matter where in the spectrum it was, it was still number one. Masvidal on the way up. I can tell you guys and remind you until I'm blue in the face. Connor McGregor, who was a 45 pound interim champion and world champion who moved to 55, had no business leaving 55. And likely never was. Dana White is headed out to dinner on the streets of Beverly Hills when a guy with a camera, who turns out to work for TMZ, asks him about McGregor and Masvidal. Now, that guy didn't do that to create something special. He didn't know the sport. He knew a couple of names. He's got a camera, and he sees Dana White. He goes into work. He goes into business. So he throws out two names that are close enough, and Dana doesn't want to scold the guy. He knows that he's working hard. Dana knew exactly what happened, why the guy even compared a 70-pounder and a 45-pounder. So you know what he was talking about, but Dana was polite. Dana very politely said, no, I want to do that to McGregor. Masvidal is too big. I knew what Dana was doing. I knew why the cameraman asked the question in the first place, and I also knew how pissed off Connor was going to be. I came right into my little chair here. I told you guys all about it. I said, Connor is not going to like that. By the time that comment gets to Dublin, Connor's going to take that as a challenge and an insult. And he did. And the next time you saw Connor McGregor, 
was at 170 pounds. It was on January 18th opposite Cowboy Cerrone at a sold-out T-Mobile Arena. And when Connor took the fight, he said, I'm doing it at 170 because Dana says I'm not big enough for this division. The whole thing was about Masvidal. That's all I'm sharing with you. That fight, at a period of time, was the biggest fight our industry could have produced. And we didn't do it. We didn't even try to do it. We all wanted it. We didn't even get a comment made on it. Let alone those boys in the ring together. And I'm just sharing that with you. Like, does that fight work? Yeah, sure it works. But you don't think you're a good matchmaker. Anybody can sell a Ferrari. Move a Volvo off the lot. Then you'll impress me. Connor is still the sport's biggest draw. You put anybody against Connor. Don't act like you've done something there. And I'm telling you, I think it's a hard buy at this point. I really do. I think it's Amazon at 3500 when he could have had it for eight. I think mentally and emotionally, it's a tough spot. It still brings you back to the same question. What does Masvidal need to do to revive his career? And Masvidal is very smart. He approaches these things. He studies these things. That's one thing you guys don't know about Masvidal. Masvidal's a thinker. And he understands his sport, but he there comes a time. There comes a time where you need an opponent. And as long as you are aware of that time and you go find that opponent, boom, you move right on through that road stop. If you're not aware of that and you think that you can still draw and that you will be the A-side and you'll be on the posters and you'll be on the marquee and somebody's going to be lucky to be opposite you, like most guys, they're not aware of their own career. And Masvidal can't force that to happen. He has something very special with Leon. Masvidal appears to me, I'm confident in telling you this, but I'll use the word appears to me, to be putting a lot of eggs in the basket of Kamara Usman doesn't show up in March, he steps in, three-piece Minnesota gets answered for. It's a risk. It's an outside shot. But I think he's got a real opportunity there to go hard at Leon and hide the fact that he wants the title opportunity, the glitz, the glamour, and the money that comes with it. And I think he can hide that very easily by coming out, telling the world, don't don't call for me. Don't ask me to fight anybody. My next fight is going to be Leon. Well, Leon's the champion of the world, George, and you're coming off of a loss to Colby. How does that work? And he answers the question. Because Leon isn't going to beat Kamara. I'm going to wait till Kamara beats him, and then I'm going to come in and beat him up again. I don't care about the belt. I don't care about the ring. I don't care about the money. I'm coming for Leon. So don't call me out because I got some time on my hands. He's got Kamara in March, so I probably won't see him till July after he gets his ass kicked. All of a sudden, people are going to be looking at that a little bit different. That would be one option, but that's the way to approach the Leon situation. Every politician you ever see run for office, they're running for the power. They're running about themselves. But they must disguise and convince the voter that they're not. They all want the power. They all want the position. They must convince the voter that that's not why they're running. It's the same thing with guys getting title opportunities and needing the mandate of the masses behind them. The McGregor fight is always going to work. You get opposite Conor McGregor, boom. You're back in a main event. You're back on Sports Center, But... Anybody would be. 
I think that Masvidal, with his skills and his media opportunity, could also start from damn near scratch. The fights that I just laid out with Leon and Connor are ones that, in today's landscape, fall in your lap. Bob's your uncle, and off you go. I think Masvidal's good enough to start from scratch. I think he could do it against Wonder Boy. I think that he could do it against Gilbert Burns. These are hard fights. I get it. They're all hard. And one that he should do, one that I've always wanted him to do, and one that he's never done. And I wonder why. And I think it's out of respect. But it's Nick Diaz. First time I saw George Masvidal, I was in St. Petersburg, Russia. He was 21 years old and he was walking to the ring. He hadn't even gotten in the ring, let alone fought yet. And he had such an interesting persona. I turned to Matt Lennon, who's sitting beside me. I tap him and I say, someday, they got to get this guy and Nick Diaz together. Now, it ended up being the other way. It ended up getting Nate in there. But big brother Nick avenging. Coming in after the fact, I mean, this was talked about, this was discussed. This isn't Chael's idea. Nick had talked about this. Nick was at Madison Square Garden. Nick was in the corner for the BMF title. And it was interesting. And you you guys were into it. But Masvidal never co-signed it. He never went for that. I don't know why. I don't know why. I know he knows how big that would be. And I know he knows I'm right that that would work. That's obvious. But he didn't do it. And I don't predict he's going to. I'm so thankful for our next partner, Athletic Greens. Not only have they sponsored this episode, but they've also helped me make life easier. I started taking Athletic Greens 1 in 2020, and I haven't stopped. I needed something that I could take to cover all my vitamins, supplements, and gut health, but I hate taking pills. It's annoying and time-consuming to take a bunch of different pills, patterns, and tablets with AG1. I don't have to do that, but I get all my nutrients in. AG1 is so much more than a greens powder. It's all your key health products in one. I just mix one small scoop of AG1 with water, down it, and I'm done. AG1 is also great for recovery. I usually take mine before I work out or even after when I need a boost during the day. I can get a nice mental and physical boost without experiencing a caffeine crash later in the day. It also costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash That's athleticgreens.com slash Check it out. I'll tell you what, who's going to fight at heavyweight is turning into who cares. It's a really interesting spot. I got asked a question, is Steve Bay ever going to fight again? I say, yeah, yeah. Why, why would you ask me that? And the guy simply said, well, because he's not fighting. And I like to check my tongue before I talk about Stipe. I believe that Stipe is a real-life superhero. I have a lot of respect. If my son was to come to me, I go, what do, you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he tells me I want to be Stipe Miocic. I'm going to be very proud of my young man, right? I think very highly 
of Stipe, but it was a fair point that somebody brought up. Stipe does not do a wonderful job of communicating with us. He never has. Perhaps it adds to his mystique. But I will share with you that we have three heavyweights. And if one of them stepped forward, I believe they would be safe. Because when you, when you have this game of three, it's not about which two are going to fight. At least it's, that's not all it's about. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is of the three, who gets left out? It starts to be very competitive. You don't want to be that guy. Once that decision is made and you are the one that is cut out, who knows where you're going to go? You could find yourself in the cage opposite number seven. You could find yourself in the cage in a co-main event. Or you could dig your heels in and say, I'm not going to do it. And everybody's going to go, well, you haven't done it in a long time. What difference does it make? Right? I mean, it's a really interesting spot. If one of those big three, I'm talking about Francis, I'm talking about Jones, I'm talking about Steve, they stepped forward and said, this is the date and I'm going to fight. I'm in. Between you two, let me know which one it is. But I'm in. I'm the guy. And the one that's closest to that, I think it's John. I mean, John had Dana say, which is stronger than anyone else has had him say. Dana said when John comes back, if he does it at heavyweight, his first fight back will be a title fight. He's, he's never wavered on that. I don't know that he planned to wait three years to honor that statement. But if that statement is still accurate, I think that John's safe. And that is a big deal. Francis appears to be safe in that he hasn't been stripped and the rumor of him being stripped hasn't come out yet. We've heard the rumor that Jones and Stipe were going to fight for an interim championship. We've heard a rumor that Jones and Curtis were going to fight. Now that rumor came out and that rumor went right away. But it happened and attached to that fight was going to be an interim championship. If that's true, that, that would protect Francis. He's only got so much time to get his contract worked out and get his knee healed up, but I, I'm just sharing for you, if he does remain undisputed champion, he's in a very good spot. When he comes back, it'll be a title fight because he's the one bringing the title. But if he gets stripped, all bets are off. And it is surprising to me that of those three, they're all very quiet. And... I don't know if they understand the ramifications of being left out. I believe those three think whatever two go on, I then hang out and fight the winner. And you're not going to have a historical reference that you could cite me when we've got down to three and done a round robin that way. I could cite you plenty of historical references where it was assumed that that was going to happen. It was believed that was going to happen. But you're not going to be able to show me one where it actually played out that way. It's a very potentially dangerous and detrimental spot for whoever is the one that's left out. But no one's speaking up and trying to go for it. And it would be an interesting promotional match. I mean, John Jones versus Francis, I think, is the biggest fight you could put on in our industry. I think. But it's also going to be the first time that you've had a massive fight where they got four years of inactivity between the two of them. 
It's a very peculiar situation. And we don't know why Stipe has been out, right? Like, you got to give Francis a pass. It's not just the contract thing. It's not the, 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 the slap contest that he wanted to go do with, with Fury. He, he was injured. You got to give him grace. I don't know why Jones isn't speaking up, and Stipe just hasn't come to us. There was the rumor of December, Stipe, and Jones. And Jones came out and said, I got to take him at his word. It's all that I got. He's the only one that spoke. He said, I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm trained. I'm prepared. I'm peaked. I'm on weight. Let's do it. That's what John said. And Stipe didn't say anything. So, th But then you wonder. Because I do know that Stipe was preparing for Jones. But it was over a year ago. Over a year ago. So then you just wonder, is Stipe hurt? I mean, if Stipe's hurt, we got to give him the same grace that we're going to show to Francis. But Stipe doesn't really communicate with us. And heavyweight, it, it sure is an interesting one. I mean, Curtis Blades, stylistically, is the biggest threat to John Jones. Where Curtis stands with Stipe, I don't know, but those two do. They were training partners. And at the time, and this is according to Curtis, Stipe was better. And Curtis hasn't worked out with him since. He's just worked out since and gotten better, and he believes that his skills have surpassed what Stipe's were at that time. I think that's interesting. I'm in. I'm in. And I'm not sure that Curtis isn't correct. Curtis is a pain in the ass, but he's going to have a hard time getting those matches. Then you got a guy named Sergi Pavlovich. Are you guys following him? That's who tied to Uvasa. Just fought. Sergey Pavlovich is something, he's like 19 and 1. He's 30 years old, which is relatively young for the heavyweight division. He had three fights this year, 2022. He finished all his opponents in the first round. I mean, this guy's a problem. He's a great big problem. He goes about 260 pounds. He's got good hands and he's got a wrestling background. He's a problem. Where does he fit in? And it's not just where are his skills and how can he do. He's got to be able to get the opportunity. Can't get the opportunity is not getting out and getting in front of you guys. A few of you raised your hands. You're good, loyal fans. And most of you turned your head sideways and said, Chad, what did you say that guy's name was? I mean, that's Sergi's fault. But those guys that appear to be out of the picture that might be the best guys, you don't actually know. It's not a bracket. There's not an architecture in play. You don't actually know. So we go off of popularity. We go off of resumes. We go off of what the community says. It's the way we've always done it. And we'll continue to adhere to those rules. But if the first three guys that, they, that we want, and, and none of them, the only thing that they have in common is that none of them want to fight, or at least none of them have fought, all of a sudden, you got to start looking to the bench. And the bench is very hungry. They just haven't had the opportunity. And as soon as they get the opportunity, they're not going to hand it back. The next breed and the next era of heavyweights is not what is commonly believed. Some unknown kid walking the streets of Havana. Some unknown kid in Mexico City. Some unknown kid that Ali's about to discover over in Dagestan. It's not. They're signed to the UFC right now. You just don't know them yet. It might be Sergey Pavlovich, really. Tom Aspinall fits in there somewhere. The next era is already here. They just don't have a spotlight on them. And when you get that ball, you got to hog it. You got to hold it tight. 
You've got to play it and you've got to massage it. Like Sugar Sean, like Henry Cejudo, like Hazmat Chemayev, like Conor McGregor. There's things that you have to do. And we got our big three that we've put in this position. And the only commonality that they have is they don't fight. The only commonality that they have is they didn't suit up in the last year and didn't try to suit up in the last year and didn't offer to suit up in the last year and they didn't call anybody out in the last year. And we still got them sitting over there, but that's not going to last for long. And this little three-man team where they all think they're protected, two are going to get chosen and then I'll get my turn, man. It doesn't work that way. And you're not going to show me time in history that it does. The guy that gets left out is never getting that spot back. He doesn't appear to be a student of the division or the business or the industry enough to be aware of that. To close out today's program, we've got a fan question from an old friend, Glenn Bell. Glenn, what do you got for me? Hey, Chell, Glenn Bell. Happy New Year. I'm here to ask you to help me design the best fighter possible based on what we know so far. Obviously, it's been 30 calendar years since the UFC. I used to go to the Kung Fu Theater. There I saw the praying mantis style, the tiger style, the drunken style, the monkey style. Now I know that was just a movie, but it had me wondering what is the best style? Fast forward to 1993, we have the UFC, all these styles together, we're going to get our answer. I was super excited and that answer was Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Fast forward some more, now we have Pereira and Izzy keeping it on the feet with the kicks and the punches. We had Khabib taking people down and smashing them. And we have Mighty Mouse just being a video game character doing all sorts of things. Once again, I don't know what the best style is. I was hoping maybe you could give me two or three martial arts. Maybe jujitsu or wrestling and Muay Thai. Maybe four or five different attacks. Perhaps a knee bar or a Muay Thai clinch or rear naked choke or calf kick. I also heard you mention that the current rules of MMA, they don't really fit certain styles. They're not suitable for certain styles and you're looking for this best style when push comes to shove. So if we're walking down the street by example and we get attacked by two guys, one thing that push come to shove does not entail is us going through a portal and magically falling naked into an octagon with gloves on and a referee telling us to stand up every five minutes. Even UFC 1 rules. No biting, no eye gouging, no growing shots. Now someone might say, well those three things won't really matter. Tell that to Iron Mike Tyson. He talked about when he was robbing people and beating them up, how he would bite and everything. And it sounds like that was effective for good old Iron Mike. So Chell, when you do say you're looking for the best style when push comes to shove, what is the actual question? Is the question the best fighting style for UFC 1 rules? Is the question the best fighting style for UFC 282 rules? Is the question the best fighting style for the Kung Fu Theater or Valley Tudo or Krav Maga or No Hose Bars rules? Basically, when I set up my camera, I came to ask you for answers that I do not know. What I've discovered along the way is I don't know the question. All right, let's get down to this because I wonder the same thing. And if you ask me this at the next New Year, I reserve the right to have a different opinion, but we're always learning, right? Some people declare that our sport of MMA is at its infancy. I think those people are fools. I think they sound stupid when they say it. But they have their own experiences and they believe that. So 
to set that aside and before I digress, I feel as though we have a good body of work and a lot of information as to what styles matter. Now, this might surprise you, and I've never spoke these words before, but karate has some seat at the table. It, it's got some kind of seat at the table. And, and Vinny Magliesh was telling me this, and Henry Cejudo has told me this, and Vitor Belfort has declared this, and Stephen Thompson went out and proved it. Lyoto Machida went out and proved it. It's got some seat at the table. I, I don't know how much time you want to spend on that because it's very difficult in karate to get an actual workout. They're punching the air, and maybe if your brother did it, then you guys could set up some rules and put on the headgear and, and actually spar. But there is something to understanding that range. There is something to understanding some of those movements. There is room for Taekwondo for that same reason, where it will allow you to work on your athleticism. Now, Glenn, I can't just answer your question as to what the perfect system and techniques are to build an MMA fighter. I would need to see the athlete first because there will always be room for the gritty guy that can get in your face, put a pace on you, take you down, and bludgeon you. That will never go away. From the time they set this octagon up in 1993 until now, every single concept has changed. And I mean all of them. The rules have changed. The rounds have changed. The weight classes have changed. The techniques and the arts and the ideas and wanting to be on in the bottom as opposed to wanting to be on top. Everything has changed except that. The only thing that holds true from day number one in Mobile, Alabama until right now is if you get on top and you bludgeon, you win. So there'll always be room for that. Khabib goes down as many people's greatest of all time. He did the same thing every time. Compared to boxing, think of Mike Tyson. Did the same thing every time, right? Threw that uppercut, come to the body, throw that uppercut, come to the hook, everybody goes home. And then you watch Floyd Mayweather. It's, it's a thing of beauty to watch Floyd. Bop, 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 quick punches, moving, head roll, shoulder locks. It's a very different style. And if you have that athleticism, and if you have that speed, and if you can get that endurance up, and if you can be disciplined enough, boy, Floyd's style sure is something special compared to Mike Tyson's, which had a lot of raw power that he was born with. There's nothing that you could do. But I do bring that to you, because if you're assessing somebody and then attempting to advise them, right, Glenn? If you're somebody's father, if you're somebody's uncle, and you're really handing this, and they're, they're trusting you, you need to really, really look at what kind of athlete it is first. And every gym and every trainer in the world will default to the easiest, lowest denominator, which is go out there, get that guy tired, and make him quit. Every gym, every athlete, everybody, very few can do it. Everybody is in tip-top shape. So then it comes down to, to partly DNA, right? What's your VO2 max? You could probably figure out who's going to be able to do that just from a scientific research standpoint. Or it comes down to pharmaceuticals and EPO and, and other things like that. But in, in all fairness, that plan that I'm just going to go harder, that was a good plan for the first guy that had it, which happened to be Nan, named Dan Gable in the 1972 Olympics. But once Dan Gable showed the world the power of weaponizing offense and pace, other guys caught on. They have their cardio. I think that when you have a long guy like Adesanya, teaching him how to use that reach is very valuable. Kicks, and, and this will always bother martial arts, because, oh, kickboxing, it's so good. Stop. Please stop with that. I kickboxed for 20 years. I have the right to tell you that simply mathematically and statistically, you can go run tape of top UFC fights and count how many punches were effective versus kicks. 
of course there's a place for kicks, for sure. And kick defense, for sure. But even in the sport of kickboxing, they had to enforce and implement a new rule to force guys to kick. So you got to work those hands. That's what I would share with you. you got to work those defenses. That I would share with you. you got to get good at jujitsu. You don't have to get great at it. That's one of the things that many many people will deny. Just because there, there's a business. The underbelly of the business of this sport largely comes from jiu-jitsu gyms. You're going to have a hard time keeping the doors open with fighters. But I will share with you, if you were pretty good at it, Israel Adesanya would be a fine example. Purple belt. If you were pretty good at it, if you can understand where those hips go, if you can understand how to block, if you can understand how to posture up, don't be in between, be all the way down, be all the way out. There's some tricks to MMA, but Glenn, there's not a, a perfect training system. And the things that I have seen that are as close to perfect as we've seen so far are mixed martial arts. And it wasn't that way when I started. When I started in the 90s, boy, you're trying to find a boxing gym over here. You're hoping to get some wrestling workouts. A lot of the submissions, believe it or not, came from magazines, came from a DVD that you would get, came from moving the coffee table out, getting a friend. True, true. The whole world was doing a variation of this. And now you're seeing guys that at 12 and 13-year-olds came into an MMA gym. They didn't go box over here, and they didn't go wrestle over here, and they didn't do submissions over here, then try to figure out on Saturday night. They learned to feint a punch, go into a shot. When the guy defends, come with your uppercut, come with your hook, go back into a shot. They learned to chain some sequences together. So my my overall answer to you is a, a quite simple one. Mixed martial arts gym. Now, not every town has those. Every town you can find somewhere to punch and kick. And every town you can find jujitsu wrestling, you're going to have to seek out a little bit more. But the guys are really excelling. The regions and pockets of the world, the gyms that are doing the best are the ones that all encompass the sport of MMA from day one. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you want to support the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review like the one from Bigfoot, which reads, love the podcast. Chael, pretty good at his job. Well, thank you, Bigfoot. You're right. And I'll be back for more on the podcast this Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.